I'm Karen Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night of Blockbuster, the podcast about our favorite movies from the 2000s. Before we get into this week's movie... We're changing things a little bit. We're changing things up a little bit. Last week, we made some Oscar predictions, and I gave you a challenge to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Based on how those predictions played out, we decided we need to talk about things. (laughs) So we're going to push the challenge till next week, so you have one more week to watch the movie. It wasn't really going to line up very nicely with this week's movie. It's definitely not going to line up nicely with next week's movie. But... uh, It needs to be watched. It needs to be watched. So, going back to the Oscar predictions. I didn't do very well. Just remind everybody, for anyone who hadn't listened to last week's episode, what were your predictions last week? I think my two were that Margot Robbie was going to be nominated, but I think she was going to lose... And that Greta Gerwig was going to be nominated as well. And that she was going to beat out the boys club this year. And she was going to win. Yeah. You, you. I missed the boat on both of those. You predicted that (laughs) Greta Gerwig was going to win best director, which spoiler alert. Not going to happen. Not going to (laughs) happen. My two predictions were that both Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were both going to miss out on predictions. And so when I woke up, you, you know, at 8 o'clock on that Tuesday morning, that fateful Tuesday morning, and the, the things started, the nominations started to come in, I did have this big smile on my face of like, holy shit, I've done it. Like, <laughs> why did I not put money on this? Because that was wild. So what, last week when we were coming up with our predictions, what made you think that they were going, like, would you consider this a snub? Like, should they have been nominated? Um, yes. So we can maybe get into the definition of, snub or not snub or whatever as well but yes i would i would say greta gerwig missing out is a snub okay margot robbie maybe less so it's a bit hard to quantify some of these things in terms of like you know is she in the top five is she not in the top five whatever it is the greta gerwig one i think people just assumed that because she directed the biggest movie of the year and that it had such a cultural impact that she would be an absolute shoo-in to get in to at least the top five i'm not sure many people assumed or thought she was going to win the award i think the nomination yeah i think the dominoes have kind of been lining up that it's going to be christopher nolan but i think most people in their right minds just assumed she'll get into the top five when i looked (laughs) at it my thinking kind of came down the lines of like a few things, a few things. So we can maybe get into it a little bit. But over the last couple of years, the Academy has tried to diversify, tried to expand. And what they've done is they've brought in a lot of international filmmakers, actors, things like that, right? Um, you know, where where English might not be their first language. They might not speak English at all. They have, you know, different backgrounds. They come from all around the world, things like that. They did that in an attempt years and years and years ago to nominate the likes of Barbie or the Dark Knight or these sort of things where it was sort of like, okay, if we if we make the Academy younger, more diverse, and from a wider net of people, maybe we'll get movies like the Spider-Man movies or whatever, where it's sort of like, you know, 
these are the big, big popular movies. Now, what has actually happened is the voting body from international parts of the world have sort of been like, well, we really like Zone of Interest. Okay. So we're going to nominate Zone of Interest <laughs> everywhere we possibly can. We really like Anatomy of a Fall. So we're going to nominate Anatomy of the Fall everywhere we possibly can. And so what has actually ended up happening is North American English-speaking filmmakers, there's less spots for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, having two... Now, like, Jonathan Glazer is an English-speaking filmmaker, but his movie Zone of Interest is not in English. Having two directors who made movies not in the English language in the best director category, like, five, ten years ago... Wouldn't... Unheard of. Yeah. Unheard of. But that is the new reality that we live in now, that these people are going to get in because... The voting body, they they have more power to get these movies and these filmmakers into the categories. And so what ends up happening then, somebody has to fall out. Somebody has to, like, <laughs> it's the only way it goes. And unfortunately for Greta Gerwig, I think that was her. Yeah. Now, there are definitely other things going on with the Academy, like patriarchy, like racism, that <laughs> yes. are 100% baked in to the cake on that one. So did the voting body look at Justine Trier, the director of Anatomy of Fall and say, well, we've got her in, so we don't need Greta Gerwig. Uh, okay. That was probably some of the thinking. Yeah. For a lot of the voters. That was definitely in there somewhere, maybe subconsciously or whatever. That, oh, we've already got, we've got one woman in there. We don't need two. Like, that's bullshit yeah but like you know what i mean that definitely i think <laughs> yeah. would have factored in there a little bit and then the third thing and the big thing when i was looking at it all is that they don't like comedies they no. they do not like comedy movies and barbie for all of its you know important messaging is a comedy and i think there would have been a lot of people who looked at barbie and sort of said it's this loud outrageous proud pink comedy and sort of just been like no and then when you get a movie like poor things right beside it which i've heard people say that they're like the same story i've now seen poor things oh, okay and i don't necessarily agree that they're like a one-to-one -one oh same story okay people have been making that comparison for the last few you know months but i do think the Academy looked at poor things and was sort of like, yeah, it's funny. And it's, you know, there is some comedy elements in there, but it's way more serious than Barbie is. So I'm going to vote for the serious one and not the comedy one. Whereas I guess Barbie did that take of, we're going to talk about something serious, but make it funny. But make it funny. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think Barbie just sort of ran into this wall, glass ceiling, should I say. <laughs> Uh, of like a few things sort of stacked against it that it just wasn't going to be able to break down. Now, my hope and my feeling is that this may be a Dark Knight moment where the Academy once again has to look at how they're doing things and sort of be like, we we missed the boat on this one. Yeah. Like, that was such an easy layup that we somehow fucked it. And like, Something changes next we year need, or in a couple years. We need something to do here. Like, you know what I mean? Like we can't, miss out on the likes of Greta Gerwig and Barbie in these categories where it's like, that's such an easy thing. Like just give them a nomination. No yeah. one's asking you to 
give them the award. Yeah. Just give them the nomination. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how things go forward. But in terms of the snub talk, yeah. like, Barbie was still nominated for eight awards. <laughs> so I hesitate to say it that, was there, snubbed. that there was too many snubs for Barbie. Like, it got nominated for eight awards. That is an incredible haul for this movie that before it came out, people were like, this is the biggest joke in the world. Like, yeah. I can't believe they're making a movie about Barbie. Well, so at the start of this, you wanted to talk about the definition of snub. I think, right? Or well, I think or yeah, like like I think I think people people look at it not to keep picking on Barbie, but people look <laughs> at it and they're sort of like, how could Margot Robbie not have gotten in? Yeah, I really like Margot Robbie in that role. I thought she did a really really great job, but like just because somebody doesn't get nominated doesn't always mean that it's a snub. So like other people have pointed to Zac Efron in The Iron Claw and said, well, I can't believe he got snubbed. Zac Efron hasn't been nominated for any precursor. Yeah. He had, he wasn't at the Golden Globes. He wasn't at the BAFTAs. He wasn't at SAG. He, you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't at any of these award shows. So the fact that he didn't then get nominated for an Oscar is like, yeah. Not, not a, a... It's not a much, snub. They yeah. obviously didn't like his performance. Like, I thought The Iron Claw was great. And I thought yeah. Zac Efron, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> gone are the high school musical days. But the fact that he wasn't nominated anywhere else by any other awards body is sort of like, well, yeah, like it obviously just didn't click. Yeah. So you can't really say it's a snub if he missed out on the Oscar after missing out on everything else as well. So would you have Margot as like your sixth then? No, no, no. no. The, the, the actual snub. Oh, like in sixth place? Yeah. Uh, I guess she would have been sixth place for me. Okay. I'm just like looking at the list. Yeah. And like. Would you have put her in for Best Actress instead of one of these other five women? No. The one, okay. that, the one that I think actually missed was Greta Lee from Past Lives. Okay. I would have had her in instead of Annette Bening. Um, I, like, for the entire year, I was going back yeah. and forth between <laughs> Greta Lee or Lily Gladstone as, like, my favorite female performance of the year. And I, I think Lily Gladstone is... Has, she's won it for me. I think she's going to win the Oscar, hopefully. I, I have seen poor things, and Emma Stone is pretty incredible. In oh, that. is she? Yeah, she's pretty <laughs> wonderful. But, yeah, Greta Lee, Greta Lee for me is the bigger snub in that category. Because, like, that entire movie, I, I know you can say the same thing about Barbie, but that entire movie, like, rests on her. And she is somebody, I know she has worked and she's done a lot of things, but... They were mostly in movies or TV shows that I wasn't necessarily all that interested in. And from what I've heard, that this was like a big departure for her. Nobody really knew that she could do what she's done in past lives. There's Margot Robbie, we know. Like, she's a superstar. Yeah. She's an A-list movie star. We've seen Barbie from her before, I think, more or less. So, for me, Greta Lee was the bigger snub. Yeah, I was kind of looking through the list and... I recognized a ton of the movies, obviously, because we've been talking about movies now for a year and things like that. The one that I didn't recognize was Rustin, which, uh, yeah. the best actor. Coleman um, Domingo. Yeah. Got in. So yeah. They all seem kind of, they're all the movies that we have been talking about. Yeah. So for me, none of them. How, out of, out of the 10 nominated for best picture, how many have you seen? How many have I seen? Oh yeah. boy. I have seen two. You got some work to do. Yeah. Well, so that was my next question. Between now and I think what is it, March something? Yeah. This is out. Yeah. Middle of March. If I had to watch, say, three more, 
which three do I need to make the time to go watch? Or anybody needs to make the time to go watch. So you've seen Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think Barbie's in the top two or three. Like if I had to rank these. Yeah. I think Barbie's actually further down. Okay. Yeah. I think Oppenheimer is probably number one. Right behind Oppenheimer, the holdovers and poor things are probably like, that's probably your top three. Okay. In terms of like. Best pictures. Best pictures. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those three won, right? After that, I think Anatomy of the Fall is probably pretty close behind. And, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Because <laughs> after that, you start getting into, like, I don't think Killers of Flower Moon is going to win. I don't think Maestro is going to win. I don't think Past Lives is going to win. Zone of Interest uh, is probably going to win international feature and therefore not win... You think? Best picture, yeah, because I, I, I just don't, I don't see it. Zone of Interest was really great, and like, I, I watched it four or five days ago, and like, haven't actually been able to stop thinking about it. Oh, okay. Um, but, but I don't, yeah, I think it's gonna win in one category, and they'll just be like, okay, that's, you know, that's there's the its flowers, it doesn't need any more. Yeah. But yeah, if if you wanted to sort of grab three more to watch, I'd say the holdovers, poor things, and you got to watch Killers of Flower Moon. I do. I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> I got to give you the three and a half hour one. So yeah, that, that's probably a good three to start with after Barbie and Oppenheimer. Have you seen all of them now then? The only one I haven't seen is American Fiction. Okay. Which comes to the playoffs on Friday. Oh, so so. I'll, I'll have seen it by next weekend. <laughs> okay. But yeah, after that, I'll be, I'll be 10 for 10. And um, yeah, it's a good lineup this year. Yeah. It is actually a really, really great lineup. Like the only one that I'm like increasingly more disappointed with was maestro and even really yeah even that i'd still say is like you know six six and a half out of ten like that's if that's if that's my number 10 movie of the uh of this list that's not bad uh, that's not bad yeah that's pretty good they they find ways to sneak <laughs> bad movies into this top 10 every year that it, yeah that's true and yeah like <laughs> maestro is flawed but the rest of them are like yeah these are all really good interesting movies so, yeah, it's a good lineup. Okay. Should we get into the movie this week? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, this week we are going back to February 12th, 2008, which is the Friday we could have rented Gone Baby Gone. This was a first time watch for you. It was. Before we get into whether or not you liked it, <laughs> I just want to know, like, why was this even on your radar? Like, what what about this movie sort of was like, oh, I need to check this out eventually? Um, so once again, it was the poster. So the poster of uh, Casey Affleck in silhouette. Yeah. I was kind of just like, oh, I'm intrigued. Like, because it kind of doesn't paint much of a story from the poster. So like, I was intrigued by that. And then I don't think I realized it was Ben Affleck until afterwards, after we had picked it. But Casey Affleck is one that I, for me, has always kind of been side characters. Like, I've never seen him in a leading role or I can't remember him in a leading role so I was interested to see what he would do having the story about him right so and then I think I knew I must have read a bit of the like teaser on it and about a four-year-old going missing and stuff and I was like oh how are you gonna tell this story like and stuff so I was just kind of intrigued <laughs> and then first time watch how did, how did you feel um it's kind of split. It is a terribly sad movie. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. 
incredibly sad by the end of it. I was almost crying because I was just like, I don't know what I would have done. But they did such a good job at the movie. So like, I had a hard time kind of ranking her scoring it because I was like... <laughs> you, we've talked about this before. You do have a hard time where if you don't enjoy the movie to then sort of rank it based on how it was told the, how the it merit was presented. of it yes, yes. you're if, I'm, if a, you're, I'm an emotional yeah, score <laughs> if you're sitting there sort of being like god like you know i'm not sure if i ever want to watch that again that will affect your yes. your opinion on you know another, i can't separate those yeah, two things yeah. <laughs> but it, i think i scored it pretty well because i enjoyed kind of the emotional roller coaster that right. they brought me on and stuff yes i ended the movie and yes i was sad but there were so many other points where I was like, oh, okay, this is how they're going to finish it. I was like, they still have an hour left or they still have this. Like, what's the rest of the story going to be? So, <laughs> Well, so it's interesting that you bring up Ben Affleck first as this was his debut directorial effort. Okay. I was wondering if it was yeah. or not. Yeah. And so I remember at the time hearing that Ben Affleck was going to direct a movie. And people were sort of like, what is he thinking? <laughs> like this Joker. Because at this stage, he'd kind of done a, a run of like not very good movies, some bad rom-coms. He was coming out of the whole Ben uh, Benifer 1.0, yeah. you know, fiasco. And his stock was pretty low. And I think the idea or the the decision to direct a movie where he was not the star, I was like, in hindsight, you're like, that is, what a what a move. What yeah. a perfect idea. Because I think people do forget that, like, he had a big hand in writing Goodwill Hunting. I think a lot of people just, like, attribute that to Matt Damon. Oh, okay. But, like, they wrote it together. <laughs> and if you hear them talk about it, they're like, we don't know who wrote what. Because it was such a collaborative effort. Okay. So, like, he clearly knows how to structure a story. And that's one of the best things I think about Gone Baby Gone is how the story is told where you're sort of like, yeah, you do get these peaks where you're sort of like, okay, we're, we're this is like, we're coming to the end of the movie. And then you find out it's like, oh no, there's a long way to yeah. go here. And like, it does do that. Like, okay, we're, we're gaining traction. And then, oh, actually we were off in the completely wrong direction. Yeah. Like we were so lost. We thought we were making progress. We were going the wrong direction. And he does this constantly in the movie, and it just keeps you on the edge of your seat the entire time. Yeah, the, all of like the things come, kind of coming out of left field, you are just like, oh, okay, I didn't see that coming. But looking back at it, it's like, well, that kind of makes sense. Like, they maybe dropped a line or a look or something, so I'm not surprised now. But I wasn't expecting it. So, well, that's that's one of my favorite <laughs> things. Like with these types of movies, you know, we'll, we'll say up front. Now, there is a big twist ending. Yeah. We'll save the twist ending. <laughs> for the for, end. <laughs> for later. But I do find that sometimes with these big twist ending movies, you can watch it once and the twist surprises you. And then you're like, oh, wow, what a great twist. And then you go back to watch it a second time. And because you know what's going to happen, it's not fun until you get to that twist again. <laughs> with this, with Gone Baby Gone, like you were saying there, like there are so many clues dropped along the way the problem is we don't know that they're clues yet yeah we don't know their clues until we get to the twist and so i've watched this movie a few times now over the years every time i go back i'm like oh there there it is like there's another one there's not i i keep finding 
new things that you're he, still picking up on them that I'm still picking up on. And this time around, it was the exact same. I was like, oh, God, like those fuckers. It was right there. <laughs> it was right there the entire time. And yeah, like when, when a movie can do that, especially a mystery or something like this, where it can it can reward you on rewatches, like it just makes it that much more special. Oh, yeah. Like all good Ben Affleck movies, we should say <laughs> the movie is set in Boston. Yeah. With the Boston locals. <laughs> Does Boston have any sort of desire for, like, does it have any sort of draw for you to go visit, to go explore? Maybe a little bit, partly just because I find there are some really good movies that are just set there and, like, not kind of at the big, I don't even know what the big attractions in Boston would be, but they're never set there. Like, they are just kind of set in the neighborhood. Yeah. Like, (laughs) this one, I think, from all I can kind of gather, it's maybe in like a 10 block radius of each other. Like, cause they talk about how they knew people from high school and like, Oh, I know what that house is or, Oh, I know where that place is. Like it does just kind of seem like a small local place, but it's Boston and it's not small. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, th- I think like they do something a little similar with Goodwill hunting. He does something a little similar with the town later yeah. on where like he knows Boston. He knows who the people are. He knows the kind of like the rhythms of the city, yeah. how they speak, how they interact. And I think you get that sense really, really early on when they're doing the sort of like opening montage of like, you hear Patrick Kenzie's sort of speaking and he's telling you about the city. He's telling you about the case of, yeah. of Amanda. And you just see like snippets of people and you don't really even hear them. I don't think you need to hear them. You just see how they're all interacting with each other and you're just like, oh, this is like, this is a lived in place. Yeah. This is real. This is authentic. Even though it's probably not. Like, no. it, it is still a movie. But you, I think he he clearly has like a shorthand to tap into this world where he's sort of like, I can take this, this, this and extrapolate it and we're good to go. Whereas I think other filmmakers would get into that city and sort of be like, ah, like, what are we doing? Like... Everyone's just going to wear Boston Celtics gear. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of Boston Celtics fans in Boston. I don't think they all walk around in the gear. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, we don't need to overload it. You just need to have it on the fringes a little bit to sort of be like, oh, yeah, okay, That's there it is. The, in case you forgot where we were. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is where we're set. Like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, there are a few Boston Red Sox hats, I'm sure, in the frame somewhere. But like, again... Not every character is doing that because it's sort of like, yeah, like. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. Yeah. I lived in Toronto. People don't walk around in Toronto Maple Leafs gear all day. <laughs> like, you know, that just doesn't happen. That's not real. That's not how it goes. And, like, he clearly knows that. And so, like, you get that sense in those few movies that he's set in Boston where it's like, oh, he gets it. He obviously wants to portray Boston in a certain light because it's his hometown. But at the same time, he's not going to shy away from the fact that it's like, it's a tough city. You know, these people aren't always the nicest. Well, I was trying to think. I don't know if I've seen the town or I've seen bits of it. Like, is it kind of similar? Like, it's kind of a little bit seedy, underbelly. Well, so like... the, the town is all about bank robbers. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, so the, the town is, like, awesome. Um, I wouldn't say it's awesome in the same way that Gone Baby Gone is awesome. But the town is just sort of like, fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> There's like four heists and there's like three gun battles. Oh, okay. And you're just like, hell yeah. (laughs) 
the thing I think with the town as compared to this is like this definitely has movie stars like Morgan Freeman is in this Ed, Ed Harris. Harris is in yeah. this um the town I think overplayed its hand a little bit in terms of let's get movie stars in all the roles and so you do end up like Ben Affleck is in the town he directs himself in the town yeah uh Blake Lively plays the like neighborhood girl bad girl yeah and you're sort of like she's not bad in the role she's actually quite good and I get it and I sort of buy it but at the same time you are like that's Blake Lively yeah you know what I mean whereas in this movie you just get the feeling that there are enough like regular Joes in sort of those types of roles where you're just like yeah okay that makes sense like I'm not sure if that's a real actor if that's just somebody who grabbed off the street yeah which I think is the feeling that you want Whereas in the town, you're sort of like, oh, that's an actor. Like, I've seen them in 20 things. Oh, okay. You know yeah. what I mean? And so you don't you don't get the immersiveness, I think, in the town that you do in Gone Baby Gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the, t- the town is... Just fun. Pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> As a heist fan, you would dig the town. Okay. Our two leads in Gone Baby Gone, Casey Affleck, Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. They play Patrick Kenzie and uh, Angie Gennaro. Yeah. What'd you think? I really liked them. This is kind of their first big role for like both of them. Yeah. I kind of liked them. I felt you kind of got the sense from them that clearly they've been in a relationship for a while. They seem very kind of comfortable around each other. But when they are kind of out doing the work, like they're working, like they're not kind of talking about things at home. They're not talking about, oh, where we're going to go for dinner. Like the relationship is kind of, when they're in the house or the apartment or whatever. And when they're out on the job, they're out on the job. And, like, you only kind of got little snippets of the things about their relationship later. Like, after kind of some of the twists have happened. And Michelle kind of brings up one being like, well, like, maybe we don't do it this way. Like, I know this is what you want to do, but let's not do it that way. And everybody can kind of stay happy at the end of the movie. So. I think in terms of, in terms of them... Like Casey Affleck had definitely done more. Yeah. I think that Michelle Monaghan had done at this stage. But like you said, like he'd never really been given a leading role like yeah. this, where it's sort of he is the main character. He is the star of the show. The entire movie rests on his shoulders. And going from the Oceans movies. That's kind of where I was like, I this, saw a big departure. Yeah, like in the Oceans movie, he's a joke. Like yeah. he's kind of a goof. He's kind of a loser. They have him dress up all the time yeah, and like, like wear stupid costumes. Him him and Scott Kahn in those movies are kind of the like grunts of the movies. We're sort of like, yeah, okay, like they're good at driving cars, but like we don't need them to drive cars. They're just going to be like the bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> they're just going to be the guys who make up 10 other characters in our, in our heists or whatever. And so then you get him in this where it's sort of like, no, you got to play a real guy and... You know, the entire movie's on your shoulders. Like, you need to deliver. And he fucking crushes it. Yeah, he does such a good job. Crushes it. And so, it's interesting because I'm not sure if I saw this or the assassination of Jesse James first. Okay. But he's kind of the lead in both. Like, the other one does have Brad Pitt in it. So, you could make the argument that he's still the lead. Um, But both of those movies was when I was sort of like, oh, shit, like, Casey Affleck might be the better actor in the family. Are we going there already? So (laughs) I'm just saying like after watching this movie for the first time and, you know, subsequent years and things like that, 
if Casey Affleck became the acting Affleck and Ben Affleck became the directing Affleck, I'd be pretty happy with that okay. outcome. I'd be okay with it. So, like, I think I think Ben Affleck, he's like he's obviously a talented actor, and and there are certain roles like Gone Girl, which I think you thought this was. I definitely mixed up the the movies a little yeah, bit, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> so there are things like when he shows up in Gone Girl, where you're just like, oh, he is perfect for this role because of what Ben Affleck is, not necessarily what he's bringing, but just like who he is versus the character that he's playing. But yeah, I think on the whole, a lot of my favorite movies are the ones that Ben Affleck has directed, not okay. the ones that he's necessarily starred Started. in. And for Casey Affleck, you're just like, you got this, you got the assassination movie, you got Manchester by the Sea. You're just like, yeah, like, fucking give him some shit to do. Like, he, if, if, I don't think he's necessarily playing the, the, the sidekick anymore, but like, this guy, he's, he's got it. Yeah. He's got it. He's an interesting, like, face. He's an interesting figure on screen. He's got it. And then, yeah, you put him with Michelle Monaghan and you're just like, who the hell is, like, who's she? Yeah. Where did this come from? Because, yeah, what had she done? She had was, she done anything before Well, this? like, the only things that I would have, like, even vaguely seen her in is she's, like, 10th cast in, like, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You okay, know I mean? Like, yeah. she's, like, the fifth assassin on Angelina Jolie's crew. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she was playing really small parts. She was in Born Supremacy as well. But I don't remember. As what character? Couldn't tell you. Yeah, Kim. I don't remember that at all. Couldn't tell you. And then she was in Mission Impossible 3. Yeah, but I think, does that come out after this or before this? Before this. So just before this. Yeah. Yeah. This came out, like, 2007. Mission Impossible 3 was 2006. So 3, she's definitely, like, a small role. She's there to, like, for the first 20 minutes, set up Ethan's story, and then she kind of takes off. Okay. Um, So she'd been doing small things. She'd been doing really small things. Then all of a sudden, she's, like, sort of co-lead in this. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, these two, like, look great on screen. They have a clear chemistry. And you buy their relationship. Some of that goes to the fact that I didn't know this really, actually. Like, I've never read a Dennis Lehane book before. Okay. Even though it's all like Boston crime stories. Like, you think that it should be right up my alley. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I've never read any of his books before. I do have a few of them sitting on the shelf. But this is the fourth book in a series of Kenzie and Gennaro stories. What are the first three? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, like, they are just, you know, it's this book series that he's written where, like, they're just private detectives and they just go off and solve a case. And then he's on to the next one. And this was the fourth story in that. And so, again, I think, like, this is, like, just wonderful filmmaking in terms of they clearly identified this story as the one that's, like, okay, this is the jumping off point. This is the yeah. one that, you know, it's got the twist ending. But also, like, by the fourth book, we would know who these two characters are. But this is the first movie. Yeah. So we need to work to establish who these people are, which means we can't rely on that part of the book. And it's like, they they do it. Yeah, they did a like, good job. Within 10 or 15 minutes of the movie starting, you're like, oh, I know who these two are. I, I get their relationship. And then, like, we obviously see more. But you're just, I, I was fully on board being like, oh, I know them. I got it. Yeah. I do like what you were saying, too, about how they act on like when they're working when yeah. they're on the case like it's totally kind of different the movie obviously sets them up to sort of be like a little bit like babes lost in the wood a little bit like you know what i mean like they definitely do get in over their head at times but i i still think that like, there are scene after scene where they're like 
their eyes are open. They know what they're doing. They know when they're walking into like the drug lords hangout, sort of like they know the risks that they're taking. Yeah. And they know, you know what I mean? Like they know what could go wrong here. They're not that naive. The thing that they're actually naive about is the police. Yeah. Um, which we'll get to. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, like there are just so many great scenes where it's sort of like they know when to push and pull the people that they're talking to. They know when like, okay, a situation's like a little bit getting out of hand. Like that that early scene at the bar where they're talking to somebody that Patrick knows. Yeah. And then the other people in the bar start being like, what? what are you doing over there? What are you yeah, doing? Why are you talking to him? And yeah. And then you could see like on both their faces, they're sort of like, okay, we're, we, done. we're done here. Yeah. We're done here. And I think the tendency in some of these movies would be to like make him sort of the cooler character where it's sort of like he takes action to maybe defend her or, you know, she's kind of just like meek in the yeah. corner. But I find that like Michelle Monaghan, even though there are a couple of moments like that, I find that she gives just as good as she gets where she's sort of like, fuck you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't really speak to me like that. Well, the, the one I was kind of thinking of that I really enjoyed seeing, like, their work relationship is when they meet one of my favorite names for a character, Cheese. Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> um. So when they meet Cheese and Cheese starts to kind of be like, oh, they're asking too many questions right yeah. now. Or like, where is this question coming from? And he gets them to, like, lift up their shirts to be like, do you have a wire? Just double checking. And so Casey Affleck does it uh, after a little bit of, like, hesitation, kind of being like, come on, man, I wouldn't do that to you. And then Cheese looks over at her and is like, I don't discriminate here. Like, you too. Yeah. And stuff. And, like, you would expect a boyfriend to kind of be like, come on, man. Like, no, she doesn't need to do that. And, like, kind of step in and say, like, that's not cool. And she's there being like, no, like, I'm just... I'm here, and uh, so she yeah. does it too. And like exactly, I think they pan to Casey, and you just see like a look, kind of being like, "Oh God, she had to do it," but he never says anything. Yeah. So yeah, and it, I think it's because you're meant to assume that like that's probably happened before. Yeah, they are private detectives. <laughs> like, you mean, I'm sure other people have been like cautious around them, and like she wouldn't have gone in there if she couldn't yeah. handle it. Yeah. And uh, but like they're partners, and they're going to do it together. I think the person, though, that really steals the show, even though Casey Affleck and Michelle Monaghan are great, I think the person who really steals the show is Amy Ryan. I didn't warm to her at all. I don't think you're supposed <laughs> to warm to her, Kate. I, I don't think that's the point. I, I Yeah, I, I don't know if it's because I don't recognize her from other things. So, like, for me, this is... You never, the watched, old... the, you never watched The Office? No. Oh, okay. No. So, like, for me, this is all she's ever done in my world and yeah i just i yeah i wasn't necessarily a fan of her well so before so. before we get into helene proper here <laughs> she does amy ryan does show up to be michael scott's love interest like ultimate love interest okay He's, she's the character he leaves the show for and when she showed up on the office i do remember being like it's fucking helene like don't trust <laughs> don't trust helene because you saw helene first i'd seen this first <laughs> I was like you can't trust her michael you can't trust her she was so good in this. She's so good because she is an absolute train wreck. Yeah. And I think by the end, I was kind of like, okay, we were never supposed to warm to her. And like, I found her last kind of scene, probably her best one, because you kind of then get the idea of like, she's never going to change. No. No, no matter is, what happens in her life. She is who life, she is. Yeah. She is who she is. And she doesn't see 
that she needs to change or she should change or whatever. I, I think, uh, yes, that's probably the most revealing scene of Helene. I just, the way that Amy Ryan turns it on and off in terms of like when she's being interviewed by the reporters or when she's out in public and like people from the neighborhood can see her versus what she's like when she's in her living room. Yeah. You're just like, holy shit. <laughs> like there is, there's some depth to this character. And I just love the whole thing of like, she's an absolute train wreck, but she kind of also has her shit together in like her own way. Like she knows what she's doing, even when she's like chaotically doing it. Yeah. She does have an idea of what she wants to be doing. And I just love the whole, the whole thing. And again, you really only pick this up on a rewatch, but I love the whole way that she interacts, especially with um, Patrick and Angie, where she's like not giving them any information and she's not really telling them anything. You're sort of like, she's the mother of a missing child. And these are two private detectives who are there to find the child. Yeah. And it's only as you watch more where you're sort of like, she wasn't that concerned because she thought she knew where the child was well, yeah. the entire time. So like, she actually wasn't concerned. It was only the, later when... Well, she she had to be concerned because Lyle and um, his wife... I can't remember his wife's name. B. B. They were... Well, not so much Lyle. Yeah. But B was the one who was concerned. And so therefore, she then has to act concerned around B so that B doesn't sort of be like, well, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. But the only one in that circle who actually knows what's going on is Lyle. <laughs> And he has to act concerned because of B. Like, the whole thing, you're sort of like, it's really, really interesting to watch all these characters when they're, especially around B. Yeah. But, like, Helene doesn't know what Lyle knows. So she has to act a certain way around Lyle. She has to act a certain way around B. Lyle has to act a certain way around B. And B's the only one who's freaking out. Yeah. Because the other two think they know what's happened. And it's just really, really interesting to watch the three of them interact. Yeah. So, and like you get three good actors and like, you're just like, go for it, guys. Yeah. So like my notes at the beginning was, Helene is an interesting mother. Huh. Like, cause from the start, you are kind of just like, she doesn't seem concerned at all that her no. kid is missing. No. Like, what is going on? And then I have, B is the aunt. Not sure about that. Because I, for a little bit, I was like, maybe B's the mom? But like... I like I couldn't I couldn't figure out the relationships at the, the start relationships, yeah. because everybody and now looking back it's because they're all acting different around each other yeah and things like that but at the start I was like I don't believe any of these relationships I was like maybe Amanda the girl who's gone missing isn't Helene's but it would be a bigger sob story if Helene this woman who was a single mom right, and right. hadn't had her life together like her kid went missing rather than B and Lionel who do have their life. To, like, I was like, maybe there's other stories here that they're trying to Well, so you were like, on. you were like <laughs> thinking that there's more behind the curtain yes. here. You were just thinking in sort of the wrong ideas. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the, the thing at the, at the very beginning that I think alarm bells for anyone who hasn't watched this movie before and, you know, has already decided to listen to 45 minutes or an hour <laughs> of a podcast explaining the movie uh, I don't quite understand that. But for anyone who hasn't, alarm bells should be ringing when it's B and Lyle who come to hire yeah. Patrick and Angie. We're sort of like, why is the well, aunt and when uncle? When B. Well, yeah, when B. B. Yeah, when B. Lionel didn't want her to go. Lionel didn't so. want her to go, which, red flag. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, when B goes to hire them, and, and 
she comes to them to sort of be like, you know, we don't think the police are going to be able to do it because there are people in the neighborhood who won't speak to police, but they'll speak to you because you're just a neighborhood person. It's sort of like, again, that goes back to Ben Affleck being like, he knows this neighborhood. Yeah. He knows that there are definitely people who will not speak to the police, even if it's about a missing four-year-old girl. Yeah. So like that idea is like, that's sound logic. I get that. I can understand where B's coming from. But the alarm bell should sort of be like, why the hell is Helene not over here? Yeah. Why is the ant coming? <laughs> why is it the ant? And then you do find out over the course of the movie that like, yes, Helene is a deadbeat mom as we sort of assume she is from the first moments that we actually meet her. You sort of get the idea is sort of like, you know, she's probably not a great mom. Yeah. And then we learn over the course of the movie. It's like, yeah, she's not a great mom. And so then you're sort of like, okay, B is actually the mother figure to Amanda. She's, she's the, the one, one who's caring. She's, she's the, the one who's caring. Yeah. yeah. Even Lionel. Like, Even is Lionel. A fa- Even is Lionel. a father figure. Yeah, like definitely. coming in, checking on her. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All of that. And so then you're sort of like, okay, that explains maybe that side of the story. And then it is, again, you keep watching, you keep watching, and you're sort of like, oh, it, Helene didn't go higher then because Helene thought she knew where Amanda was. Yeah. She wasn't that concerned. Lyle didn't want B to go because he knew where Amanda was and he didn't want her. You know, like, and so there are, yeah, like you were looking for levels and there are definitely levels to, to this mystery. Like we've already sp- sort of spoken about the clues in plain sight. Yeah. One of them being Lyle's opening scene and, and some of the lines of dialogue. I do think on, on rewatch, one of the things I enjoyed watching was how desperate the detectives were to sort of shape a narrative. Okay. And and like build a story about how and where Amanda was. But because Patrick and, and Angie are sort of like outsiders a little bit, they keep inserting themselves unknowingly into events where you can then see it on the detective's face being like, how are we going to spin this? Oh, yeah. Like, how are we going to get out of this? Like, because they're like, they're actually doing a job here. Yeah. <laughs> and at first watch, you're sort of like, why are the cops acting this way? And then it is on rewatch. You're sort of like, oh, it's because like they they had an idea in mind and they wanted to stick to that. And then it was a lot of along the way of like, well, they've done this. So how do we get that to line up with what we want over yeah. here? And it's not really even about Amanda per se yet. I don't think they ever assumed Angie and Patrick were going to get there. But it was things like Cheese where they're like, yeah, we, we're going to go in and meet Cheese because they were going to set up this fake swap swap yeah but then angie and patrick were like yeah he'll never speak to you so we need to go in because we know who he is and so then they was sort of like ah, i guess that is right like you know what I mean? like it actually does make more sense for them to go in and set it up than for us and so then you get the whole thing with the call to the station the next day where it's like man it never happened yeah but they needed to let them do that there are these little breadcrumbs along the way where you're sort of like why are the police acting like that and then you eventually learn. It makes sense. It all makes sense in the end. Yeah, kind of looking back at the cops when you first meet them. So you meet Ed Harris and I'm forgetting who his partner was. His partner name is Nick, I believe. I don't so know the actor. John, act- John Aston then, I guess? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know the, the um, actor. But you well. meet the two of them and they're just kind of sitting in a diner. Yeah. Having lunch. Just they're, like not that concerned. And I was kind of like, like I get you have to eat, but like maybe be talking about the case, maybe brainstorm something, and they're kind of just like, yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> Have a little urgency here, guys. <laughs> but even even to that scene, like, when we first meet them, 
they're not that concerned because they have three people that they're going to pin this on. That's true. Yeah. And the three people that they're going to pin this on, two of them are just junkies. Two of them are just drug addicts. And one of them is a pedophile, but is a pedophile with a boy preference, with, with a boy preference, not a little girl preference. Yeah. And so at first you're sort of like, okay, yeah, like this makes sense that it's probably these three people. But again, you're sort of like, as you unravel it, you're sort of like, it actually doesn't make any sense. Like no. why would these three people go after Amanda? That doesn't make any sense. But I think when you're in that situation, like Patrick and Angie are, you're sort of like, you just want to solve it. Yeah. You just want, you know what I mean? Like we've already met Morgan Freeman's uh, captain character where he's sort of like, you know, it's already been 48 hours. And, you know, if we don't get it in the first 24, like odds are really bad. And so there, you get the urgency from those two where you're sort of like, yeah, they, they're just going to go with the plan. They just kind of keep following whatever the next whatever the next clue, thing, next t- thing. Yeah. Yeah. Until it's like undeniable where you're like, None of that made any sense. And then they start going back and looking at it all again and saying to themselves, something's not lining up here. Yeah. Should we get to the actual twist? Should we get to the big finale? I was going to say, I think it's kind of time because there's, we keep kind of talking around it. Yes. And if we talk about it now, other things will now make sense. (laughs) So very early on, we meet Morgan Freeman, uh, his character, who he's the, the captain of a missing child's unit in the police. And... He uh, has made it his life's mission to find these missing children because his child went missing and was then later found dead. He then hooks up Patrick and Angie with his two top detectives working on the case. And that's basically what we end up following for the next hour and a half. Is, yeah, the is four the, of them. These four of. characters sort of, you know, following one lead, following one tip, whatever. Nothing ever really seems to work out. They eventually do set up a swap with Cheese where that's who Helene believes has Amanda. Because she was his drug mule and stole money from him. Yeah. And so she was like, she assumes Cheese knows that I took his $130,000 or whatever it was. So he's taken Amanda. If we do a swap, I'll get my kid back. Yeah. He gets his money. I get my kid. We go our separate ways, whatever. Never talk about it again. (laughs) They set up the swap at the quarry and it's another, it's a, like another great little scene because we spend so much time there and they're like climbing rocks and whatnot. And then they get up there and they have a breath and then they're like, how the hell are they going to get Helene or how the hell are they going to get Amanda up here? Well, cause and the, then gunshots start. Yeah. Well, the thing is Patrick and Angie are on one side of the quarry, the quarry yeah. and then Amanda is going to be dropped or given to them. Yeah. And the two cops are on the other side. With the with money. The ba- with the money. Yeah. Once the girl, once Amanda comes to them, they give a call, the money gets dropped. So I was like, interesting that it's not all happening. Together. Together. Yeah. And stuff, but sure. And then, yeah, sure. Sure enough, guns start happening. Guns Patrick. Are, yeah. <laughs> guns start happening. Patrick and Angie race to the other side of the quarry, just in time to hear a big splash in the quarry. And everyone is saying... Amanda fell in. Amanda fell into the quarry. Now, they do search the quarry. This was one of the parts where I was watching it the other night and I couldn't remember. Because I was like, it is just a quarry. Like, just get some divers in there and find a body or not find a body. Yeah. Um, but they, they do have some lines of dialogue being like, it's so deep and there's so many rocks and shit in there that, like, 
things do get lost. And you're like, okay, okay. I buy that. And they find, they see Amanda's doll. They see and, Amanda's doll. And in a the, sweater in, or something. Yeah, yeah. In, in the quarry. So they assume we've met a very tragic end yeah. to this story. You sitting at home watching it for the first time, like, how are you feeling? Um, I was upset. But then I tried not to look at how much time I had left in the movie. Oh, okay. But I did know what time I started the movie. And I was like, oh, it's a two hour movie. I was like, we're only an hour in. Yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe the next hour is just going to be the fallout of all of this. Like we've all and built it, to this moment. It could have been. Yeah. It so I was like, been. the next hour is just us going to like, by this point, you can kind of get that Angie is like invested in Amanda. And so like, we'll see maybe her and Patrick's relationship change because the they, fallout. they didn't fo- yeah. solve this case. Yeah. Basically then over the next hour, we do follow a few other threads but then Patrick starts to piece things together. And this is when it's sort of like, okay, things actually weren't lining up here really well. And so like, let's take a second look at it all. And that's when he starts to realize like Ed Harris's character, things that he was saying and doing weren't making sense. Characters that they were following didn't make sense. He starts putting it all together. Well, because at one point after Amanda's taken, a little boy is taken. Another boy is taken, yeah. A little boy is yeah. taken now. And Patrick had earlier in the movie gone and said, hey, Bubba, I need you to help me find these three guys. Yeah. Like these he, three. He, a local drug dealer that he knows. Yeah. Yeah. And the three that the cops wanted to pin this on yeah. have gone kind of underground. Can you help me out and try and find them? And so sure enough, Bubba does find them. And Patrick then, I think eventually calls the cop, the two detectives in and says, I found the three guys, think maybe Amanda's in the house. Let's go take a look. Or I think had Amanda gone into the water by this point? Yeah, so they thought Amanda was dead at this point. But they find, when he goes into the house with the drug dealer friend, they meet the pedophile. And he has the medallion of the boy. And he's got the medallion of the boy. And so then he's thinking, okay, the boy is probably in the house somewhere. So that's when he calls in the detectives. So he calls in the detectives. Big shootout. Big shootout. <laughs> Big shootout. Really quick kind of shootout in a way. And so then, yes, we do meet the pedophile. We do find the boy who yeah. has died. But then you kind of do get it the sense of Amanda was never... They were never concerned that Amanda was actually here. Because the guy does only like little boys. Yeah. And stuff. So the pedophile then does get shot. Um, by Casey Affleck. And I think then that leads Casey Affleck and Ed Harris to have that conversation yeah. about, well, sometimes you need to do the wrong thing for the right reasons. That, so. that is one of the things. But <laughs> in that conversation, Ed Harris talks about one of his old informants who was Helene's boyfriend. Oh, yes. That's the big clue. Yeah. That's the big clue of Patrick being like, he lied to me. He told me he didn't know who this was. And I've now learned that he is one of his old CIs. Yeah. And and that's when he starts to really sort of ask some questions. Yeah. And, you know, he has a meeting with Lyle and Lyle folds pretty quickly. And Lyle says, you know, we, what was, Lyle's story was that he wanted it for the ransom. He wanted it for the yeah. money that Helene stole. Yeah. So they stole Amanda, Lyle and, and Ed Harris's cop character. Stole, took her for ransom. Took her for ransom. And that that's what was going on down at the quarry. Unfortunately, it got botched and Amanda still fell into the quarry. She was blindfolded and ran into the water. Still fell into the water. So so his story is that she still is dead. Yeah. Lyle is sticking to that story. 
Well, then a gunman shows up in the bar. Yeah, which this is like one of my, in a movie that I love, this is one of my least favorite parts because he shows up in a mask where you're sort of like, that is a comical mask. Like that is, that is a ridiculous looking mask. And then without saying anything, he immediately goes to the table with Lyle and Patrick and Angie and is like, you say something, you say something. And and you're like, they said nothing, dude. Like, so like clearly he's come in for this, for this table, not to rob the bar. And then Lionel is there just being, I told him that for the ransom, I told her like Amanda was for the ransom. And at that moment, everything else already started to seem a bit fishy. And like, I wasn't convinced by any of the stories, but I was like, if I had been, that would have been the moment where you would be like, well, no, you're all been lying. You've all been lying. You've (laughs) all been lying. We find out that the gunman, the would-be robber, is Ed Harris. And he was there to, like, cover tracks or whatever. Yeah. To stop this confession before it Probably started. to kill Lionel. Probably, maybe to kill Lionel. Definitely to strike fear into him. But he is shot by the bartender. Yeah. He runs off. He eventually dies. Patrick catches up to him and he eventually dies. He gets very far from being shot in the chest. It's not bad. Ed Harris is pretty awesome. <laughs> Ed Harris needs more work. The last thing I saw him in was Westworld and he needs more work. He's pretty awesome. But he, yeah, he kind of, he kind of gives a, not a real confession, but he, again, just a a little bit more information to Patrick who then takes off sort of immediately um, and goes to Morgan Freeman's house in the countryside to confront him. Because Morgan Freeman has now lost his job. Well, yeah. So he resigns after, after everyone assumes that Amanda is dead. He resigns. He goes off to live in the country somewhere. And Patrick comes to confront him. Now, do you think when he first shows up, do you think he's there because Lyle had told them about the ransom job and that he thinks that Morgan Freeman was part of the ransom job? Or does he think that Amanda is there? I don't think he had pieced together that Amanda was there. I think, I think Angie had. I don't think Angie had. Oh no. No. I think maybe Angie in the back of her head thought maybe something was up. But I guess she does say that she just sees her yeah. and she can see that she's happy. So maybe not. But yeah, no, I think he's just there to kind of confront that his two cops had well, done some dirty work. Okay. And that the uncle was that in makes on sense. it. And like, that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of just came in and was just like, you never, you were never actually looking for Amanda. Like you guys yeah. said you were, you kind of gave Helena... Like, false hope. I've made her a promise to kind of bring Amanda home. Obviously, I can't do that, but I can kind of give her the true story of what happened. So what happened? Yeah. Like, and then Amanda runs out the front and door. And then Amanda runs out the front door. Yeah. <laughs> so when Amanda runs out the front door, were you sitting here being like, holy fuck? Yeah, because I was kind of like, oh, you guys had me believe that she was gone. Yeah. And I think just because I did believe... Lionel's story of well if she was blindfolded and she got scared because there was gunshots I would believe she just ran and like if all of the guys are distracted by trying to make the shots look real and not shoot each other and Cheese was getting shot somewhere like Amanda could have just slipped through the cracks because you kind of get the feeling that that's Amanda's life she just always slips through the cracks exactly (laughs) so yeah, I was I was real surprised when she came right out at that door. <laughs> so she comes out the door and she gives Morgan Freeman a huge hug. And you immediately are like, holy shit. 
he kidnapped Amanda to sort of replace his daughter. Yeah. And and as one last sort of like redemptive, I'm going to save this child. I think like he's definitely doing it for the right reasons. Oh, there's no question. He just wants to like help her out because I think wants to save the child. They I think they had talked about the year previous. Helena had taken Amanda to the beach, but Amanda fell asleep and so then she left her in the car and she then slept for two hours or um Helene had gone down to the beach and was doing drugs with her friend yeah. for two hours and Amanda was just left in the car and stuff. And so I did wonder like did Morgan Freeman's character know about that story and then kind of watch them for a year and was just like, oh, she's not changing. She leaves her kid. She goes and does drugs at the local bar. She goes and does this, like, what? And stuff. So for a brief moment, they talk about how Helene sells drugs to a biker gang. And that's where this money comes from. And that's kind of the start of Helene thinking Amanda was with cheese. I thought Ed Harris was in with the biker gang. I thought the police were in with the biker gang. Okay. And stuff. And so... That's why they were trying to cover their tracks was that they have this biker gang on the side. <laughs> so that would have been that would have been a twist. It it was kind of like Sons of Anarchy for me a little bit. <laughs> so, but yeah. So we find out that Morgan Freeman has has orchestrated a kidnapping of Amanda with the help of his two detectives, with the help of Lyle, who like Lyle loves Amanda and just wants her to have a good life. Yeah. He just wants her to be somewhere where she's going to be loved, where she's going to be taken care of. And so he helps start this kidnapping to get her out of the house with Helene. Patrick then has a real moral dilemma. Yeah. A real moral dilemma. And this is why this is one of my favorite movies from this decade. Is because you can show this movie to anybody. And until this point, like it's a pretty good police procedural thriller. Missing child thriller. Like it works as that already. And then we get to this scene where he has a discussion with angie and they are going back and forth about do we call the police and tell them that amanda's here or do we just let her stay here with morgan freeman in a house where she's going to be loved and taken care of and have a good life or do we bring her back to helene yeah and they kind of fall on either side of that discussion patrick patrick is like pretty steadfast about she needs to go back to her mother. And I think part of that for me was because he made her the promise. Yeah, absolutely. And stuff. And so you do kind of get that he is a guy that would keep his promises. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. But but Angie is definitely like she looks happy here. And we should say, like, of all the interactions with Helene and, and things like that, Patrick went to school with Helene. You get the sense that there is a bit of a history, even though they didn't necessarily know each other. I don't think the same was for Angie. I think Angie's a bit of an outsider to this like whole neighborhood, to this whole world. Yeah. And so she immediately clocks Helene as this deadbeat mom who doesn't deserve to have a kid in the first place. And so when the dilemma comes up at the end, she is very much like, no, Helene can't have this kid. Helene is going to ruin this kid's life. Yeah. Whereas Patrick is like, she needs to go back to her mom. So the question is going to be, Kate. <laughs> I knew this was going to be asked. What side of the debate are you coming down on? Honestly, I didn't, I couldn't pick a side. I could kind of see both. And so for that night and since the movie, I've kind of been thinking about it because I knew that this would be a topic of discussion between us. And so honestly, I 
I don't know what I would have done. Because I can kind of see where Patrick's coming from that I think all of this would have scared Helene and, like, she would have changed because she kind of, like, started to realize, oh, I might not get my kid back. Like, if only I could have five more minutes with her. If only I could do this and stuff. And so I could see where he's coming from. But then Angie is also there being, like, she's happy. Like, do you ever see, have you ever seen her smile? Like, in any of the other photos and any of the other discussions, like, she's happy and she'll be loved and cared for and, like, look at this house that they can provide her. And I think they were, I think they were moving to kind of get Amanda out of the town area and stuff. But, like, she'll have this great new life and all of these new adventures and things like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do you have an answer for it? No, but that's why it's a good one is because there actually is no right or yeah. wrong answer. Like they set up both of the arguments from both of the characters in a really good way where you're like, I get it. Yeah. I see where both of them are coming from. So there is no answer. Yeah. The movie, unfortunately, has to pick one. Yes. And, and Patrick wins out. Well, because he's the main character. So he's the you, main have, character. you have to do his. Yeah. <laughs> so before so. we get to the final bit, though, had you guessed that Amanda was in the house? No. No? no, so that was a surprise for you. That too? was definitely a surprise for okay. me. Yeah, the first time, first time through, I was like, I think I was definitely sort of like, she's dead, and they know she's dead, and they're covering up something, something like, yeah. like there obviously is definitely more here, but yeah, when she came running out the door, I was like, holy shit, Ben, <laughs> you fucking did it, dude, you did it. Nah, like Dennis Lehane obviously wrote the novel as well, but so yeah, the police show up, they take Amanda away, Morgan Friedman ends up. In handcuffs. And so does his wife, which is So does sad. his wife. Well, she's an accomplice. I know. But, like, I wonder if it was her idea or if he just kind of came home with the kid. So She still could have gone to the police and been like, oh, my husband came home with the missing child? <laughs> like, the, she knew what was going on. Don't big, give her the free pass. Amanda just seemed very comfortable with them as well. And so, like, I was curious if this was a first time or... If, you, like, I think you get the sense that, like, they are probably really great parents. Yeah. And... Amanda was just like crying out for somebody <laughs> who would give a shit. Yeah. And she got it. And yeah. then unfortunately Patrick shows up and takes it away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Amanda gets picked up, brought back to Helene. Yeah. Big excitement in the neighborhood. Everybody's out and just, oh my God, I'm so excited to have her back. And oh baby, I just love you and whatever. And then we kind of cut forward a little bit. We cut forward a little bit. The thing I like is that Angie sort of said to Patrick, she's like, if you do this, I'll hate you for the rest of my life. Yeah. And like, that's it. And she follows through with that. Yeah. They, she's gone. <laughs> she's gone. They break up over this decision. And the last scene, like you had already said at the very beginning, he's back at Helene's house. Amanda's there watching TV. Helene's kind of getting ready for a date. And you get the sense of like, oh, Helene hasn't actually changed all that much at all. Yeah. And she's a guy, about, she's a guy about, reached out to yeah. her. And she didn't think anything of it. And then he drove down to see her. Yeah. And like, well, if he's going to drive down to see me, I might as well. And stuff. I think, so. And then the big the big thing, too, is then he's like, is that Patrick asks who's looking after Amanda. And she says her best friend is. And he's like, does she know what she's doing? And she's like, well, she'll find out in about five minutes. Yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, fuck. Like, she just, Amanda is always an afterthought. Yeah. Always, always, always an afterthought. And so Patrick then just says, well, I'll babysit for her tonight. And, you know, he sits down on the couch with her and they watch TV together. And you do get the sense that, like, Amanda's not that happy. And no. maybe Patrick is becoming not very happy with his decision. Yeah, you can kind of just tell that she is a kid that is placed 
in front of the TV and just yeah. left to her own devices and away. The thing that I found truly heartbreaking at the end of it was he sitting with her and he's like, oh, who's your dolly? Like, who's your tall or whatever? She's like, oh, it's Annabelle. And the entire movie, they talked about how Mirabelle, the doll, had been missing because that's what Helene had said. And I was just like, she doesn't even know the name of her kid's doll. And I was just like, this is heartbreaking. I am so sad now. <laughs> and that's gone, baby, gone. And then the movie ended and yeah. I had to go to bed sad. It, so. <laughs> it ends on like a really down note. It ends on a like, oh, shit. Like, he did make the wrong call here. Yeah. Yeah, I think he might have made the wrong call. And like, good movies just do that sometimes. Good movies make you feel sad at the end of them. Yeah. I just, oh my god, it was heartbreaking. And so that's why, like, I can appreciate that they did the story really well. I enjoyed all of the twists. I enjoyed thinking back over the movie. I was like, oh, they did talk about this, or they said this line, or... But, like, ending it like that, you are just there being like, oh god, this is so sad. (laughs) Any last things for Gone Baby Gone? Not Gone Baby Gone, but I'm curious, what would be your ranking of Ben Affleck movies? Because he doesn't have a ton. He's no, he not doesn't. a big director yet. No, so. no, not yet. Not yet. Um, so I think he's done five Five movies? or six, maybe? Yeah. Let me see here. Let's pull up his his work. Okay, yeah. So he's got five. So he's got Gone Baby Gone, The Town, Argo, Live by Night, and then Air, which he, which he did this year. Do five to one. Do five your to top one. one last. Okay, so, well, five has to be Live by Night because I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Um, I own the book. It's another Dennis Lehane book. I own the book. I've always meant to read it before watching the movie. Uh, just haven't gotten around to it yet. So that is number five for that reason. Number four is going to be Argo. Okay. So I think like Argo is like pretty good. But again, he puts himself in as the main character. And it worked a lot less in Argo than it did in The Town, which was the first time he did it. And so, like, Argo's fine. Argo's good. It's got its funny moments. It's got its tense moments. But it's not one that I'm necessarily going back to. I don't really feel the need or the desire to ever go back. So that's number four. Number three would be Air. Um, It kind of surprised me how much I actually did enjoy Air. Yeah. Uh, I thought the movie about the first Jordan sneaker would be, like, the dumbest thing in the world. (laughs) But they kind of pull it off. Yeah, they did a good job. So, like, it's actually not that bad. So that's number three. Number two would be The Town. The Town's pretty awesome. It's pretty fucking sweet. Um, I definitely rewatched it a lot over the years because it gives you that sort of like satisfying like fuck yeah every 15, 20 minutes. But I think Gone Baby Gone, I've had like good conversations about Gone Baby Gone okay. over the years. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've shown a lot of people this movie. I've talked to a lot of people about this movie. And it's always interesting because that twist at the end People come at it from so many different directions. Yeah. And so, yeah, Gone Baby Gone kind of like keeps rewarding me. I keep finding new things. Whereas the town, I've kind of found everything in the town that I'm going to find. At this point, it's sort of just like, oh, yeah, that was an awesome scene. Like, <laughs> just a fun movie. It's just fun. Yeah. So, yeah, like both of those, I would have four to fives. But okay. but Gone Baby Gone, I would have his number one. Okay. Yeah. Should we tease next week? Yeah, once again, first watch for me. First watch for you. Very different from everything we've been doing so far. Yeah. Um, at least in this year. But um, it's it's one of the rare perfect movies. Really? In my... Yeah. yeah. I think I've, I have like 30 or 40 
five out of five movies and this, this is in there. This is in there. This is in there. Yeah, it's just once again, it kind of came out and I just missed the boat the year that it came out and just have never had the chance to go back. So when I saw that it was, fell in this decade, I was like, perfect, let's do it. <laughs> it'll, it'll pair perfectly with 2001 Space Will Odyssey. it? Yeah. So that'll, that'll be next week. We'll see everybody then. See you then. Mm-hmm.